other day, it was not a Sunday, and I said, why don't we go over to Chick-fil-A, we can go get some breakfast over there, and then I'll take you over to Hobby Lobby. And she thought that was a grand idea, and we went, and uh, while we were walking through there, my parents decorate their patio with uh, birds, lots of birds, there's just birds everywhere, and, and uh, we walked in, and there, they had this giant flamingo, about this tall, right? Yeah, flamingo, and uh, I said, I should get that. <laughs> I should get that for my parents. I wasn't going to tell them. So I bought it, and I, I snuck it home. And then when they, weren't, when they were outside of their room, I, I made it outside their bedroom, and I stuck it so the head's staring right in the window. <laughs> and then uh, we, we were up playing a game of Yahtzee and, uh, together. Or is it Yahtzee or Parchies? I can't remember. And uh, then I followed my mom to her room, and I was like, hey, did you, did you meet Kevin? Who's Kevin? Oh, what is that in the window? <laughs> she said, where did, where did that come from? I said, I don't know. I don't know how it got there. And, uh, and then my dad let the cat out, and it, there's a little door right there. The cat goes out, and it, it didn't notice the bird at first. It got about three steps out, and then saw this bird and about had a heart attack. And so, uh, so I was, that, that's a good day. <laughs> So now the, now the bird has moved from the bedroom window to the back patio. But uh, if you ask Chloe, she's not in here, but she's in the back. If you ask her what kind of bird, I named him Kevin, by the way. The bird's name is Kevin. But if you, uh, if you ask Chloe what kind of bird it is, she'll look at it and she'll go, it's a mango bird. A mango bird. <laughs> so I don't know where she got that, but uh, that girl says some of the weirdest things. Uh, if you're ever looking just to have a laugh, just go talk to Chloe for a little bit, and she'll, uh, she will entertain you, I promise. She is quite the character. I don't know where she gets it, because I'm so calm and mild-mannered. And it must be from Chanel. She's the crazy one. So, All right. Uh, if you have your Bibles, let's, uh, let's open together to Joshua chapter 3. Joshua chapter 3. This is one of my uh, favorite books of the Bible, and Joshua is probably... Uh, in many ways, my favorite Old Testament character. Uh, Joshua was a dependable uh, man, a servant, a helper for Moses. And then when the time came, he was called upon to lead the nation of Israel when it came time to uh, take the land of Canaan for themselves. And that, all that blessing that Joshua experienced came from his time uh, being a servant to Moses. And his faith that he exercised while serving Moses. And so he was greatly rewarded for that. One of the two people uh, that uh, when at, um, at Kerjath Jim, when the nation of Israel turned their back and said, we're not going to go in because there's the giants and stuff like that. And we're not going to go in. Uh, it was Joshua and Caleb who said, we should go in. Uh, the land is it's, it's plenteous. Yes, there's giants. But you know what? God is strong and God can take care of us and he will provide us victory. But the, uh, the 10 other spies convinced the people otherwise and the nation of Israel did not go in. And so Joshua was one of the two people that, was, that would have been at that point over the age of 20 that didn't die in the wilderness. He was able to go to, to lead the nation of Israel uh, up in, uh, after Moses died and then lead them into the promised land. And I can't imagine being one of those, those last people, uh, you know, that was over the age of 20, and they're just kind of like all these young people eyeballing you like, hey, when are you going to, you know, die so we can go into the promised land? Just, just waiting on you, pal, <laughs> you know. Um, that would have been a hard thing, but they weren't waiting on Joshua. He was going to be the one leading them, so. Uh, Joshua chapter 3, we're going to read in verse 1. It says, And Joshua rose up early in the morning, and removed from Shittim and came to Jordan, he and all the children of Israel, and lodged there before they passed over. And we're going to jump down to verse 14. And it came to pass, when the people removed from their tents to pass over Jordan, and the priests bare the Ark of the Covenant before the people, as, and as they, had, uh, they that bare the Ark were come unto Jordan, and the feet of the priests that bare the Ark were dipped into the brim of the water, for Jordan overflowed, overfloweth all his banks at, this, at the time of harvest, that the water which came down from above stood and rose up 
upon and heap very far from the city of Adam that is beside Zeratan, and those that came down toward the sea of the plain, even the salt sea, failed and were cut off, and the people passed over in the side, uh, right against Jericho. And the priests that bear the ark of the covenant of the Lord stood firm on dry ground in the midst of Jordan, and the Israelites passed over on dry ground until the people were passed clean over Jordan. Let's pray. Our gracious Lord and Heavenly Father, again, I thank you for a wonderful country that we can live in, Lord, this wonderful church building that we've dedicated to worship you, Lord, this church family that we can come together, that we can worship you and, and read and study your word and to, to lay the truths that are in there to our hearts, Lord, and that we can seek your face and, Lord, we can, we can let you work in our hearts. And I pray that you would do just that tonight, Lord, that you would that you would speak to our hearts, Lord, and I pray that you would keep the devil, his minions away, that you'd keep them out of the sound system, Lord, that you would just allow us to sit and to focus on what you have for us in your word, Lord, and that you would just rule and reign in our hearts, Lord, that you would convict us of sin, that you would poke and prod and goad us in the way that we ought to go, and that uh, we would leave here changed and impacted to be a better Christian, a better servant for you, Lord. In your son's holy and precious name, amen. That's uh, always... Always a strange thing when the devil gets into the soundboard. Uh, I've, I've seen it time and time before, time again, you know, everything's going great, and then the sound system just goes crazy, and, uh, and uh, Craig Proper's back there doing a great job, but when the sound goes, when something happens, everybody does the same thing, like, and he gets a lot of eyes, and he didn't do anything wrong, I guarantee it, just the sound system sometimes wants to be evil, and it does, so anyhow. We're glad that you're here, and we're glad that the sound's working again. The nation of Israel has gone through the 40 years of wandering in the desert. They've gone through a lot of hardships. They've gone through a lot of trials. They've, they've, in that 40 years, there was moments where they were close to God, and there was the moments where they would turn away from God, and they would rebel, and there would be problems. And there was many times that God would, would come and say, you know what, I'm done with these people. <laughs> uh, just, Moses, step away, and let I'll kill them all and I'll start again with you and many many times that would things like that would happen and Moses would plead on behalf of the people and and uh, several times uh, he said uh, God said that he would he would wipe them out or even at one point said that he would send his angel before the nation of Israel but he himself would not go with them and up until that point he was traveling with the nation of Israel as a pillar of fire by or a pillar of cloud by day and a pillar of fire by night and he was leading and guiding the nation of Israel but there's several times where he was so frustrated that he said I'm done I'm done with you you sinners you evil people you wicked hypocrites so to say and uh, I, I'm just not going to go in and Moses would beg and plead and remind God not that he needs reminding but he would he would call upon the promises that God had given them and the and the covenants that they had made and so God would uh, the Bible says, repent him of the evil, and there's a wonderful study in that, not that God uh, changed his mind or did anything like that, because God is not a man that he should change or waver or anything like that, but uh, just in how all those things work, and God would, was willing to do this, but he didn't because he's merciful and he's gracious and he's loving. But we come to this point, and uh, Joshua uh, sends out, when he, when he comes into power, rather than sending 12 spies into the land, he sends two spies. Uh, he didn't take a general consensus, uh, not because I think he was afraid of what would happen uh, as, a, as it did last time, but he just wanted to get the, he knew they were going to go. He said, okay, God's going to send us in, but the first place we're going is Jericho, and we need to know a little bit more about it. We need to know what that city looks like. And he sent the two spies in, and uh, when they came back, uh, they reported to Joshua and said, hey, uh, they're terrified of us in there. They're scared to death. They, they see us coming. They don't know what to do. And uh, we're ready to go. And so Joshua, he's following God's command. And God tells him, okay, it's time to go over the River Jordan. Now, the River Jordan is a massive river. Uh, uh, to draw a comparison, uh, how many of you have ever seen the Mississippi River? Ever? Uh, there are spots in the Mississippi River where you're looking at it and you go, are you sure this is not a lake? 
there are spots like, okay, it's moving really fast. That's the only indication that this is a river. There are places where that Mississippi River is just so wide. And the River Jordan is oftentimes much like that. It's a very wide river in places. And right now at the time of harvest, when this is happening, it is overflowing its banks. It's, it's swelled up. Uh, it's just this massive river. And so oftentimes when you have to, uh, from a military standpoint, if you're going to make an advance like this, you would not want to take your army over the river because going over the river is it's it's a spot where your armies can get plugged up it's a spot where they get they're they're stuck and it's a place where you can easily be attacked and so it's not uh god immediately uh gives them the command that we're going through the jordan river and as a military tactician they would say okay uh this is a bad idea but joshua says oh god says it we're gonna do it and so he tells everybody look God says we're going over the Jordan River, and this is how it's going to work. And he lays it all out in chapter 3, how uh, the priests are going to go by with the, he's, he basically told all the people, get packed up, get ready to go. Uh, say everything but your tents, but make sure everything's ready to go. When you see the priests in the Ark of the Covenant go by, pack up everything up and follow after them. And we're going to cross over the River Jordan. And they're sitting there looking, okay, are we going to like get some boats? Are we going to have some rafts? Are we going to... Are we gonna? Uh, are we just planning on swimming? What's the plan here? And and Joshua laid it out that God, uh, if you were to read the verses between one and, and fourteen, that He clearly states what God's gonna do. God's gonna walk us across this river on dry land, just like He did for your forefathers at the Red Sea, where He parted the waters and they walked across on dry land. He's going to do the same uh, thing for us and provide us passage across this uh, Jordan River on dry ground. And uh, we can draw a lot of similarities between this. The nation of Israel and the church are very different things. There's different promises provided to those. But I want to draw some applications for what Israel had to go through in this. And I want to show you, uh, by the way, I, this morning I had one page of notes. I have five this time. So, <laughs> um, but big, big font, big font, okay? Uh, but I want to show you three critical components we need to see uh, to see God's power in our church today. Three critical components. Three things that I think many churches are missing. Uh, and I want to look at this passage and I want to show you uh, where we can see God's hand at work. And the first thing we need to see is a heavenly miracle. Now, everything we do in church uh, is miraculous. The church body itself is a miracle. Uh, the, the fact that God would, would take the, the plan that he had for the nation of Israel, and you look at the, you look at the Old Testament and how everything was going, that God took that plan and he kind of puts it on hold and he establishes what we know as the New Testament church. Now, God's not done with the nation of Israel, and there's still a plan in, a, in God's timeline for the nation of Israel, but he establishes the church to be his witness in place of the nation of Israel. And so how God worked in that, that's, it's miraculous. And the way, uh, the way he set that up and how he paid for it and, and the, the, the act of salvation that we can freely take part in is miraculous. That God would send his son down to this earth to walk around on this earth. I mean, if, he, if I had the choice, I'd be like, mm, I'd rather not. Um, I could imagine there was many places that, that Jesus walked that we could liken to uh, maybe Seattle nowadays, places that you may not want to go, and Jesus would go there, and he, would, and, off, and he didn't shy away from them either. I know there's many times I, with Amazon, they're like, okay, we're going to have an in, in, in office day. Y'all got to come to Seattle. I'm going, oh, I really have to. I'd rather not. But uh, Jesus oftentimes would go to those places. There was the one time he said, I must needs go through Samaria, which is where the Jews would not go. They would travel, they would take their time to travel around because uh, the Jews and the Samaritans didn't get along. And what did Jesus do? He went there and then he began to preach and people began to get saved, starting with the woman at the well who uh, any man of reputation back then probably wouldn't be uh, caught dead talking to. So, uh, the, the amount of miracles that we actually experience every single day is uh, without number. Uh, how many times that uh, uh, God does something and God's working and we don't notice. Uh, you woke up this morning. 
the human brain is still one of the most complex computer systems on earth that scientists just can't figure out. They look at it and they say, okay, we think we got it figured out. And then they study some new person. They go, oh, that just blew everything we thought out of the water. I don't understand how this all works, how this, this blob of pudding can, can power the whole human body. They still, they still struggle with how uh, we can breathe in air and, and the body can take that air and draw nutrients to provide our muscles with the energy to keep going and how we can, that, that still they understand how it works, but how it all came to be, and they would explain it all, oh, evolution and this and that, but, but when it all comes down to it, it's why and how, and, 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 and there's so many things that science brings us to a dead end, and we say, well, we have a theory. We have a really good guess. Well, if you got a lot of time, we can talk about that. And scientists will say and, and, and argue, and well, what about this, and but the fact is, is nature is miraculous in how it works, and we can rack our brain all the time and say, how on earth does this work? And the truth is, is God designed it that way to be uh, just not confusing, but it's, a, it's his design. And if I could understand the mind of God, if I could thoroughly understand his designs, I'm not sure that would be a God worth serving. My God is amazing. But we should be seeing miracles outside of just what God has given to us and, and the fact that we have a, a new day every single day that we wake up in the morning to serve God. We should be seeing things. And there are several key ingredients that, come to, that are involved when it comes to uh, miracles. The number one key ingredient is faith. Every time... Every time Jesus does a miracle, there's faith involved. Whether it was the recipient's faith or take it the, the four men that lowered down the man sick of the palsy through the roof. And Jesus, he looked at the man sick of the palsy, but the Bible says that when he saw their faith, those four friends that brought their friend to Jesus and lowered him down. When he saw their faith, he looked down at this man and said, take up thy bed and walk. Faith. Faith is so critical in seeing God do great and marvelous works, which we can't fathom, think, we can't comprehend. Faith. Faith is the grain of mustard seed. But on top of that faith, there's a required obedience. You see, we can have all the faith in the world, but if we're not willing to do the things that God's asked us to do, oftentimes it falls short. Imagine if those four friends that brought their, the man sick of the palsy to Jesus, if they looked at it, they had him in, their, in his blanket, his bed, and they looked and they said, uh, that's a lot of people. I know Jesus can heal you, buddy, but well, there's a press there. There's a lot, there's a lot of people. Uh, we'll catch him next time. How different the story would be. If the blind man outside of between Jericho and Jericho, fun story there. But if the blind man hadn't stood up and cried after Jesus and said, Jesus, thou son of David, have mercy on me and didn't make the, the effort to cry out to God, would he have been healed? Probably not. You see, there's an obedience to seek God. There's an obedience to follow what he tells us to do to see these blessings. In this circumstance, he told the priest that you need to walk down into that river Jordan. He said, he promised a miracle. He said, you will walk across on dry land. But the water did not move until the priest's feet got wet. Looking at that river Jordan, I could assume it was moving pretty fast. And I could imagine those, those priests as they've got the ark on their shoulders and they're walking, they're going, oh, we're getting kind of close. This ark is really heavy. <laughs> We get out in that water, we're, we're not going to be able to stand up for long. We're probably just going to sink and this thing's going to crush us. But the Bible says that when their feet had dipped into the water and they had 
put their feet in the water. That, in that moment of obedience, when they followed through, that is when God acted. And he takes that water and he stands it up on a heap in one side and the water stopped flowing that way. Now, um, if I was a farmer on the Jordan River, I'd be a little concerned downriver. Could you imagine you're just out working the fields or whatnot and it's harvest time and, and then you look over and the Jordan River's gone? There was a river there. There were lots of, well, what has happened? What's going on? Somebody help me here. I couldn't imagine. I couldn't wrap my head around. Could you? And the water, the Bible doesn't say that the water stopped flowing from above, from the north. It just stopped and piled up. So as they're taking the time to cross, that heap is getting bigger and bigger and bigger. I want to know, did God let it all go at once? Or did he kind of like trickle it down and just let it resume the way it was? I don't know how that all worked, but... I, it'd be really nifty to someday look back in time and see how that worked. I, I really want to know. But I mean, if it all went at once, there was farmers down the road that they're gone now. <laughs> you know, little towns along the river, they're gone. God just took care of them. Joshua didn't have to. But we see that the miracles, every church should be experiencing miracles. And sometimes they're big and sometimes they're small, but we should be seeing God's hand at work in ways that we can only say, point and say, hey, that was God at work. There's no way that I could have accomplished that. There's no way that that pastor or, or, or the church staff or whatnot could, could handle that situation. There's no way that uh, apart from God taking care of us that that is humanly possible. I remember there was a man at uh, Bible college that I went with, and he, he was a, uh, he had a, it was a heart transplant or a liver, I can't remember. Uh, he had, it was a heart or a liver transplant when he was younger, and he was, he was on all sorts of uh, the transplant medications that keep the body from rejecting it. And as a, as a freshman in Bible college, uh, living away from home, not having his mommy to prepare his pills and all that, he, he would skip. Oh, I missed, my, I missed my medication today. That's okay. And then the next day. And then the next day. And then he got sick. And, and then it turned, into, it turned into his body was in total rejection. And these organs that he had had almost his entire life, his body was saying, no, nope, these don't belong here. Get them out. And I can't, again, I can't remember if it was his liver or his heart that, he, that was the transplant. But next thing you know, Everything started to quit. His kidneys stopped working. The, the stomach wasn't working right. The intestines just shut down. Everything was closing down. And, and the doctors, uh, uh, over the course of several weeks, the doctors said, uh, called his family and said, if you have uh, loved ones that want to see him, you need to get a hold of them. He's, he's not going to make it. This boy is going to die. And uh, I remember uh, the, the college administrators coming together and saying, it doesn't look good, but we can still pray. We're going, to be, we're going to spend all night in prayer tonight. And they encouraged, they said, come to the main auditorium. We're going to pray until, until curfew. And once curfew hits, we encourage you to go back to your dorm rooms, and we're, and, and we're going to pray there. And, and you know, if, you're, if you're late in the morning, so be it. It doesn't matter, but we're going to pray. And we stayed up all night, and we prayed, and we prayed, and we prayed, and an amazing thing happened. He lived. Doctors said, we can't explain it. Everything says this guy should have died. Bare minimum, he should need a new transplant because his body's attacked this, this organ so much. And when it all came to, and they, they were able to stabilize his body with medication, they said, it's fine. He doesn't even need a new transplant. We, can't under, we, we don't understand this. We don't know how it works. That it's nothing short of, and I quote their words, a miracle. And I tell you what, when we were in chapel a few days later and they said, hey, we got word back, uh, he's going to go home soon. Yeah, hallelujah is right. I mean, there was, there was teenage, or not teenagers, but there was young adults, teen, uh, college-age kids jumping up on the pews and yippee. 
And uh, the, the vice president there, Dr. Getch, said, hey, calm down. You know, we still got to have chapel. <laughs> but we were excited because every person in that auditorium had prayed and, 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 and was invested in seeing this young man restored. And we saw God's hand at work. When Hudson Taylor, the famous missionary, went to China, he was uh, in a sailing vessel very close to the shore of a cannibal island. And the ship was uh, becalmed. There was no uh, breeze. They were just drifting. And it was, this ship was slowly drifting shoreward, unable to go about, and the savages were eagerly, eagerly anticipating the feast of sailors upon this boat. And there's these, these cannibals are standing on the shore and they're just, all the sailors are in the ship and they're just watching the ship slowly be pushed in by the waves, unable to do anything. And the captain came to Mr. Taylor and besought him to pray for God uh, to help. And Hudson Taylor said, I will provided that you set the sails to catch the breeze. And the captain declined to make himself a laughingstock by unfurling his sails in a dead calm. And Taylor said, I will not undertake to pray for the vessel unless you will prepare the sails. So the captain took a breath and did as Hudson Taylor said. It was done. While engaged in prayer... He had gone into the, into the stateroom of the ship, the captain's quarters. Uh, while engaged in prayer, there was a knock on the door of the stateroom. And Hudson Taylor said, who's there? The captain's voice responded, are you still praying for wind? Yeah. It says yes here, but yes. And the captain replied, well, you'd better stop because we have more wind than we can handle. You see, when we, when we want God to do something great, we have to be willing to do our part, to do what God has asked us to do. Oftentimes, people will say, I've been in, in churches uh, all around the country. I've been in, you know, going on different trips and visiting and whatnot, and I've seen people say, oh, we want to see our church grow. We want to we see God's hand mightily, and it's saying, okay, uh, who are you telling? How many tracts are you passing out? Who are you witnessing for to? Who are you, who are you praying for? What are you doing? Because God has chosen to use us as people, as Christians, to do his work, and so that he can work miracles through us as Christians. And the Bible says that yes, God could have made the if when Jesus was going forth and uh, and going into Jerusalem, and, and the people were crying out, blessed is, blessed is the son of David, uh, Hosanna in the highest, and they were saying all this, and, and the Pharisees rebuked them, and Jesus said, hey, if they stop talking, the rocks are going to cry out. And God could use the rocks, and God could use the uh, creatures and nature and all that, but he has chosen you and me. And so the first thing is that heavenly miracle. Do we see it? Are we looking for it? Are we preparing for it? Just like I had talked about this morning with the southern, the southern church down there that was going through the drought, and they came in, and if you weren't here this morning, uh, they, they came in to pray for rain. And the pastor got up and he said, I see you're here to pray for rain, and that's awesome, but what I want to know is where are your umbrellas? If you're praying for rain, are you expecting the rain to come? If you're praying for wind, are you going to prepare the sails to receive it? So we see a heavenly miracle. Secondly, and we should be seeing miracles daily in the church. Daily. We should see God's hand at work and like, hey, look, this is, this is the Lord's doing and it is marvelous in our eyes. I can't explain it, but God's at work. That's what we should be seeing. But next thing I want to talk about is a heavy burden. And even when things are going well and when things are smooth and, and the church is growing or things are happening and 
People still go through hardships and people will still go through trials. And there are people all over the church who are hurting. And, the, and many times we don't know what somebody else is going through. We, we, we come to church, we put on our smiley face because we're supposed to have the joy of the Lord. And, but we don't talk about, yeah, I got this going on at home. and This is a struggle. And the other day I got in an argument with my wife and we've been kind of at odds with each other. And, People go through hardships, and they go through trials, and they have burdens. And we should be spiritual and, and bear one another's burdens and pray for one another and strengthen each other and sharpen each other as iron sharpeneth iron. But there's heavy burdens, and they don't go away. If you're going through a problem, and you're saying, oh, once I get through this problem, it'll be smooth sailing, and I'll worship, I'll serve God the way I should uh, when I finally get through this one. When you get through that one, guess what? There's probably going to be another one. Nobody ever arrives to this plateau of like, I am super Christian, and everything is smooth sailing for me, and you may bask in my glow. doesn't work that way. We did that play a couple of, many, many years ago. My dad played super Christian. Uh, that was an interesting play. If you want to know more about it, ask him. He'd love that. <laughs> that was years and years ago. He, he, uh, we brought a, uh, we had a lawnmower, a riding lawnmower. We called it the glory cart. We, we made, put these wings on the side and we drove it through the auditorium with a bunch of teenagers in here. It was great. Yeah. So if you want to hear more about that, we can, we can talk about that later. But a heavy burden. I don't know how I got on that. <laughs> I'm sorry, that was a rabbit trail. But anyhow, a heavy burden. Why, and why do burdens come? Because God is working in us. And in 2 Timothy chapter 3 and verse 12, it says, Yea, and all that will live godly in Christ Jesus shall suffer persecution, shall go through those uh, trials that come from outside. If you're going to live for God, you're going to have problems with the world. Uh, if you go out door knocking, you'll, you, you get to meet those problems face on. You go knock on a door. Hi, I'm from Berean Baptist Church, and we'd like to whop. Well, praise the Lord. On to the next house. I took Sterling with me one time, and that, that I think it was the first door. And he's like, are they all going to be like this? <laughs> it's, no, some people stop, and some people listen. Some people take the track, and other people will slam the door in your face and tell you that they're not interested. Uh, that's light persecution. Um, in, the, in the Bible, you go to, to Hebrews... And you can hear about Christians that were tortured and mutilated. Uh, you look in that part, in, uh, sawn asunder. That's where they would take a person and stuff them in a hollowed out log. And then they would cut the log lengthwise with the person inside. Fed to the lions in the Colosseum. Oh, we don't know what persecution is here in the United States. If the greatest persecution you get as a Christian is, I ain't interested, bam! You should jump up, shout, yeehaw, hallelujah, praise the Lord. If that's the worst persecution you had. But burdens come. Why? Because if you choose to live godly, burdens will come in the form of persecution. And by the way, the devil... He's also going to bring persecution. He's going to be, bring problems. Uh, the Bible says in 1 Peter 5, 8, Be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary, the devil, as a roaring lion, walketh about, seeking whom he may devour. A roaring lion is not one that's stalking its prey. It's not one that's, that's sneaking up on you. It is making a show of force. It's showing you, I am here. I am here to intimidate you. I am here to destroy you. If you open up one small point of weakness... I will come in and tear you to pieces. That's what a roaring lion is doing. He's not trying to hide. He's saying, I'm here and I'm after you. God brings burdens. God brings trials. Oftentimes, and we hear Pastorino say it many times, we're going through a hardship, we're going through a difficulty, and we say, God, why are you doing this to me? And it's in truth, God's not doing it to you. He's doing it for you. He's trying to teach you something. And if sometimes you go through a burden and God's not necessarily trying to teach you something, he's trying to teach that guy something. Because he knows that guy's watching your life. Jesus 
Out on the road, they meet a blind man. And they look at him and they say, who did sin, this, this man or his parents, that he should be born blind? Who was the one that did the evil that, that rained God's judgment on this man's life, Lord? And Jesus says, nobody. Paraphrasing, paraphrasing. But he says, no, this man was born blind so that you could see the glory of God manifested in his life. He was born blind so that I could come meet him today, heal him of his blindness, and you could see it, and you could believe on Christ. Whoa! Now imagine being the blind guy. Wait a minute! I've been blind this whole time so you can teach them a lesson? How is that fair? And yet God does it. God will put hardships and difficulties sometimes in our lives, not just so we can grow, but so that other people can who are watching our lives can see us go through the struggle, can see us and, and see how God is going to work in that situation, and they can be edified, and they can see God's mighty hand at work. Meanwhile, you're over here going, well, I'm going through a difficulty. We're supposed to have that joy, that fruit of the Spirit, that joy and the peace that comes from God and say, oh, praise the Lord. He's going to take care of me. He's going to walk me through this one. And somebody's going, how does he do that? And they're going to be encouraged. Sometimes that's how it works. 1 Peter 1.7, And the trial of your faith being much more precious than gold that perisheth, though it be tried with fire, might be found unto praise and honor and glory at the appearing of Christ Jesus. And when we go through those trials and we go through those hardships, there is, uh, there is gold and silver and crowns and, and blessings that someday we can come back to Jesus and say, Amen. Thank you, Lord. Here they are. Let me cast these crowns at your feet. And by the way, there's somebody else that said, I watched that guy go through that, and I learned something, and now I have rewards that I can bring of my own. God may lead you into deep water, just like he led those priests into the Jordan River. He may lead you into deep water, but your hat will never float. You're never going to get so deep that you're underwater. Let's just put it that way. But with these burdens, there's a reason for them. There's a reason we have burdens. What are burdens for? They're to stretch us. They're to pull us. Just like when you go to a, to a gym and you exercise, you're breaking down the muscles. But in order to strengthen them, you have to pull and you have to stretch and you have to work them so that they can be grown. And our faith oftentimes works the same way. Because we don't exercise our faith. We don't put ourselves in opportunities where God can exercise our faith. He can, he can move it and mold it and shape it and allow us to see God's hand at work. And so we think, God just doesn't really care. 2 Timothy chapter 2 and verse uh, 20 and 21. I'll go ahead and read that. Uh, but in a great house there are not only vessels of gold and silver... Uh, but also of wood and earth, some to honor and some to dishonor. If a man therefore purge himself of these, talking about uh, all the problems and, 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 and issues that they were going through, uh, the church there. Um, if a man therefore purge himself of these, if he keeps a clean life, if he's serving God, if he's doing what he should, he shall be a vessel unto honor, sanctified and meet for the master's use and prepared unto every good work. God wants us to be polished and God wants us to be a vessel fit for honor. God wants that for us. He wanted that for the nation of Israel. He wanted them to be a, a well-pleasing uh, vessel in his sight. And in, in the Bible, it talks about how when they had, they had followed the plummet of the house of Ahab in the land of Israel in the northern kingdom, and God made the statement, I will take you, I will wipe you as a man wipeth a dish. There's a precedent for men doing the dishes. I'm sorry. But as a man wipeth a dish... And then turneth it upside down. When you, when you clean the dishes, if you leave your cups right side up in the cupboard, what happens? They get dust. They get dirty. 
And so when you go, how many, has, has this happened to anybody? You reach into the cupboard and you grab a glass and you don't really think about it. It's right side up. And, or, you, or you grab it from somewhere and you fill it up with water. You don't even look and you start chucking. And then you look inside and there's the stuff floating around. You're going, oh, I should have cleaned this first. There was a point in the nation of Israel where God said, I'm going to take you. I'm going to wipe you like a dish and I'm going to put you off to the side. I'm going to take you out of the fight for a while. I'm done with you. And the nation of Israel, uh, the land, the kingdom of Israel, the northern kingdom, was, would be the first to be uh, taken into captivity, and they would serve many hardships because God said, I'm done with you. I'm going to put you off to the side. So when we go through our burdens, we're, we're going through these things so that God can take us from a vessel of, of, of wood or earth or, or just that he can purify us and he can mold us and he can make us something uh, fit to be a vessel of honor. And he doesn't want to just wipe us out and stick us on the shelf. No, he wants to use us to be a serving vessel. He wants us to work for him. Those burdens that God brings into our lives are there for us to grow. Now, what burdens did the Israelites go through right here? Let's read chapter 4 of Joshua. Chapter 4, we're going to read 1 through 8. And it came to pass, when all the people were clean passed over Jordan, that the Lord spake to Joshua, saying, Take you twelve men out of the people, out of every tribe a man, and command them, or ye them, saying, Take you hence out of the midst of Jordan, out of the place where the priest's feet stood firm, twelve stones. And ye shall carry them uh, over with you and leave them, in the lodge, uh, leave them in the lodging place where ye shall lodge this night. Then Joshua called the twelve men whom he had prepared uh, out of the children of Israel, out of, every man, out of every tribe of man. And Joshua said unto them, Pass over before the ark of the Lord your God into the midst of Jordan, and take ye up every man of you a stone, Upon his shoulder, according to the number of the tribes of the children of Israel, that this may be a sign among you that when your children ask their fathers in time to come, saying, What mean ye these stones? Then ye shall answer them, saying, The waters of Jordan were cut off before the ark of the covenant of the Lord, where it passed over Jordan. The waters of Jordan were cut off, and these stones shall be for a memorial unto the children of Israel forever. And the children of Israel did so as Joshua commanded and took up 12 stones out of the midst of Jordan. And the Lord spake unto Joshua according to the number of the tribes of the children of Israel and carried them over with them unto the place where they lodged and laid them down there. When you're setting up a memorial, you don't take, they, I, they didn't go into Jordan like, here's a little rock. You know, and, and then they go and like, we got 12 little rocks. No. He picked out 12 men to pick up rocks. Big rocks. Okay? Imagine being one of these men that you're told to go in and you're to heave that big rock up onto your shoulder and you're to bear that burden and not just getting it out of the river, but they didn't camp by the River Jordan. They pressed on to a place that they would call Gilgal. And there, if you read on, at Gilgal, they set up that memorial. So these 12 men, they were given the burden to carry these large stones to Gilgal. They had to stay, they had to wait for all the land of it, for all the nation of Israel to come over Jordan and then they were to move on to Gilgal and set them up together. Some people, not everybody, go through trials all at once. But some people, there are people in this auditorium right now, you're going through a hardship, you're going through a difficulty, you know it, and sometimes you're, I don't want to tell everybody about it, I don't want people to know my business, and I get that, but oftentimes we cannot comfort one another, we cannot strengthen one another, we cannot build up each other the way we should if you're not willing to share those burdens. And we can't see oftentimes God working in your life if you're not willing to let us as a church family, be a blessing to you. Everybody could see these 12 men bearing their burden to be a memorial for the land of Israel. That's one reason why I'm uh, so against 
um, tearing down these monuments that's going across the United States. It's calmed down a little bit right now. But there's memorials built for a reason, and you can look at a memorial, and you can, you can look at that, and there, you can learn about the person that's there, and then you can study that, and it, it's a teaching moment, and you can learn good things, and you can learn bad things about that person, and you can learn a lot. And the Bible says that we should not remove the ancient landmarks because they're there for our edification. They're there for us to learn and to grow from. When the, when the next generations would come and they'd see those stones, he didn't want them to come by and just knock them all over because they were there for a reason. You want to you hear a great story of faith, uh, read up on the general Stonewall Jackson, Southern General. His statues are getting torn down everywhere. Great Christian man, yes, he owned slaves, he had... But, and that was an issue he struggled with. But he, rec- he looked in the Bible and said, there's slavery in the Bible. I, don't, I, I have a hard time seeing how God could condone it here but not here. And, and that was one of his sticking points. But it, had he lived through the war, I believe he would have released his slaves and been a very uh, key person in restoring the United States to what it was. But Stonewall Jackson was a man of faith. He would stand on the battlefield on his horse and he would just sit there watching the battlefield, bullets whizzing past his head. And they asked him, they said, how can you be so calm? He said, I can be as calm on that battlefield as I am at home in my bed because there's pointed unto me one time that God's going to call me home. And he's not going to take me before. It won't be after. But I will go when God wants me to go. There are accounts of Stonewall Jackson coming back and then pulling his jacket off to have it you know, makes clean and because he's a general, he needs to look. And they would find bullet holes through his jacket as he stood or sat on his horse observing the battlefield. And that same confidence and faith he had in God was translated to his men who would stand their ground knowing that God's not going to take me till it's my time. So if it's on this battlefield, he's going to take me. And there's no way I can get away from that. A man of faith, not a perfect man. And if you're looking at men to, to, to say, hey, that's somebody I can follow. Well, people are imperfect. And you're going to be disappointed. We should see miracles. And we deal with burdens. And I want to I share with you a prayer from an Ethiopian pastor. From I don't know if I'm saying this. Sodu Walamo, Ethiopia. This was a prayer that was recorded. And he says, Almighty God, from the depth of my heart, I plead with thee to send us some trouble. When our king was exiled, we were in much trouble with foreign rulers. We had to meet in secret and were in constant danger of our lives. That was the time when we worked in harmony with our fellow Christians. Many a night after I had locked my door and gone to bed, tired from a long day's journey of preaching and teaching, there came a persistent knocking. Lord, how I wanted to sleep, and surely, uh, but they wouldn't want to be baptized at night, to be hunted and chased and put into prison and beaten. But they said that they had seen the Christians' joy, and they too wanted that religion. But every night, there were more and more. We read thy word and talked about it and prayed through the nights. We shared our joy in the Lord. We worked side by side with only one desire to preach and teach the gospel. Then, Lord, our king came back. The foreign rulers were forced to leave our country. We have peace in our land. We baptize in the daytime. We are not beaten. We meet and pray. Yes. But we are beginning to grow careless in our zeal for thee. Jealousies creep in and spoil the harmony. Petty troubles take on large, uh, take on in large meetings. We are selfish in our ambitions. Dear Lord, send us more trouble, I pray thee, that we may forget ourselves And be so dependent on thee that we have no time to become selfish and jealous 
of our fellow Christians. For Jesus' sake, amen. Burdens are important. And we shouldn't run from them. We shouldn't flee them. We should, we should pray and ask God, God, what can I learn? How can I grow? What do you need of me? How can I be a blessing? If you're going through a hard time, try to be a blessing to somebody else. But the point is, is we need to see miracles. And we need to understand that even when things are good, there are people around us that are struggling and we need to help them. But at the same time, we need to learn and we need to grow and we need to be prepared for when God allows those things to come into our lives. But lastly, the last thing I want to point out in this passage is a humble leader. Joshua. Joshua. Let's read Joshua chapter 4 and verse 9. And Joshua set up 12 stones in the midst of Jordan, in the place where the feet of the priests which bear the Ark of the Covenant stood, and, the, and they are there unto this day. While the whole nation of Israel was walking across, Joshua, the leader, was busy setting up his own memorial in the midst of Jordan. He alone would take 12 giant stones and move them and make a memorial that would then be buried by water, never uh, that you would probably rarely ever see it. Maybe when the Jordan was down low, you'd see the tips of these rocks standing up in the water. But Joshua did it. And so many times our pastor is up late at night and he gets up early and he goes out because he gets a call and they're saying, we need a pastor. We need somebody to come pray with us. We need somebody to come help us. And Pastorino will get up in the, in the dark hours of the evening or in the dark hours of the morning to go help somebody. And Pastorino works hard. And many times the work that he does goes unnoticed and we don't see it. Joshua was in the, in the middle of the Jordan River putting up the stones and everybody's walking by. wonder what he's up to. We're all walking, going where we're supposed to, and there's Joshua playing in the rocks. I hear people say, well, it must be easy being a pastor because you only got to work three times a week. We're to follow the faith of our leader. Joshua was a great leader. And the one, one reason was in this passage, God said that he would magnify Joshua in the eyes of Israel, but also because he was a humble leader. He had been seen by the nation of Israel time and time again, being at the right hand of Moses, helping him out, helping him lift the staff, helping him fight the battles. Whatever Moses needed, Joshua was there. And then it was his time to stand up and to lead. And the nation of Israel said, that's a man I can follow. Hebrews 13 and verse 7 says, Remember them which have the rule over you and have spoken unto you the word of God, whose faith follow, considering the end of their conversation. Uh, Pastor Reno gets up here and he prepares and he pours his heart into the word and he, he tries to bring that out to us and half the time uh, we can't stay awake to listen. We struggle and we say, oh, I don't know. I've been working really hard. I've been really busy and I've been there. And you say, I don't, I don't have time for church this week. And sometimes Pastor Reno might have been working on a message and God has put you specifically on his mind. He's been praying for you all week and you don't come to hear it. I've been there. I've been the guy that he's probably been praying about and not come. And he'll come up to me and say, hey, we missed you. I know, preacher. I'm sorry. I'm just tired. And you stop and look at what he does. And you go, oh, yeah, you're really tired. <laughs> oh. God's given us a great pastor. Hebrews 13, 7. Remember them which have the rule over you and have spoken unto you the word of God. Who's, I, I pasted the same verse in twice, sorry. Um, but we have a wonderful pastor. But I want to throw this out. We should follow the faith of our pastor, but we should pray for him and we should help him and we should strive to be a blessing to him because he has a mark on his back that we will never know or experience in many cases. I 
want to wrap up with this, but the idea, uh, our pastor is Mark the devil. Uh, goes, he goes after you. He wants to see you fall. He wants to see you fail. But if he can make a pastor fall, the impact of that is far-reaching. I shared my testimony briefly this morning. And I talked about one time how I had been angry with God. And, and many of you were here uh, when our previous pastor had to leave. And I'm not going to belabor this point, but when our former pastor was, uh, had to leave, and I remember a time seeing him with his family, and there was issues and sin that came into, in, and it tore the family apart. And I remember seeing his little girl look at him and say, God, or Daddy, why is God, why is God doing this to our family? Not four years prior, I had gotten saved and surrendered to preach. And that moment, I went up to my room. I, I got down at the foot of my bed, and I said, God, if that is how you treat the men that serve you with their lives, I want nothing to do with it. I'm done. I said, I'll, be, I'll go to church. I'll tithe. I, I, I know you're still real. I believe that. I'm not losing faith in that. But I don't want to be a preacher if that's how you're going to treat me. So angry. And what I failed to realize was in that moment, I wasn't just letting the devil destroy the life of a pastor. He was then destroying the life of a church. He had worked his way in. And we saw member after member disappear. I don't want to follow up. I don't want to go to a church where that type of stuff happens. If the pastor's like that, who knows what the other members are like? And I let the devil drag me down a very dark path for many years, for several years. Because he got a hold of a pastor and he took him down. We need to pray for our pastor. We need to be there for our pastor. We need to we need to help him and encourage him. And you say, I don't know how to encourage the pastor. I don't know how to help. Well, ask. Preacher, what can I do for you? Can I take you out to lunch? Can I, can I, can I wash your car? Can I be a how can I be a blessing? You know, one of the, they did a Pew Research study, and one of the greatest encouragements to a pastor is when you sit closer to the front. It's the weirdest thing. Because they feel like they don't have to shout and, and, and raise the rafters to get you to hear it in the back. And I understand some people have to sit in the back because health conditions or they got babies in the nursery. I understand that. But if you can move to the front, it's an encouragement. If you can be right here in Bible college, we call it right in that front row, to sit under the spout where the glory comes out, if you can just be right here and to say, and be close enough to say, Amen. Amen, preacher. It's an encouragement. Pray for pastor. That's an encouragement. I've gone over a little bit, and you know, when God leads, I'm just going to keep preaching, but we need to pray for our pastor. He does so much that we don't see. He works hard. Uh, I, I got to fill in again because he's out of town. He's there. He's down in Lancaster watching CJ graduate from Bible college. Um, that's a blessing for him. And any way that I can be an encouragement to him while he's gone, I want to take advantage of. I'm grateful that he trusts me to come preach. And trust me, I look at myself and say, uh, there's probably better guys you can call upon to preach, Pastor, but if that's what you want, yeah, I'll do it. Praise the Lord. But pray for our pastor. Three things. Three things our church has. It needs more of. We need to go through. We need to see heavenly miracles. We need to experience heavy burdens to help each other out when we go through them. But we need to pray for our humble leaders. Pastor Reno's been put here. Uh, I remember when he came and we did a church vote, he was voted in unanimously and I almost voted no. 
I was just old enough to vote. If you want, I'll tell you more about that later. But I remember I almost voted no on Pastor Reno's. It had nothing to do with Pastor Reno, by the way. But I was still dealing with problems from the last pastor. But we're so blessed to have a man that reads, studies, that loves missionaries, that, and, and we're to follow that vision that, he, that God's put in his heart. And so we need to pray for our leader, our humble leader, a man of God. Thank you so much for being here. And I pray that you would, you would take those, those things to heart, Lord, or people, <laughs> that you would just let them sink in. Are you going through difficulties? Are you going through trials? Are you seeing God's hand at work? Don't keep it to yourself. Please, let us help. And lastly, pray for your pastor. He needs it. He needs it every day, and he needs us to help out as much as we can.